you need to check it out. Let's turn back over to the book of Galatians. I was ministering here last night. If there were any of you that weren't here last night, I hadn't got time to go back through that. But I did give this little test. And uh, the purpose of that wasn't to condemn you or anything. But, you know, we say that, oh, yeah, I believe in forgiveness of sins. But in a practical way, how does it affect your life? Are you really feeling like you are the righteousness of God? Do you have no condemnation in your life? Do you walk in peace? We say we believe in healing, but how healed are you? How much is it affecting your life? And I haven't asked, but just about three people, I think, about what their score was on this uh, test. One of them said they only scored 50 and they cheated to get that. And so if they subtract the 50, <laughs> they are down to zero. So, But anyway, the reason for giving this test was basically... Just to help you see that many of us recognize Jesus has provided a lot for us that we aren't experiencing. And many people have just accepted this as normal and this is the way that it is. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Why is it that if Jesus provided this and if you know that Jesus has done something for you, why aren't you receiving it? Why isn't it having an effect in your life? And I was sharing this verse out of Galatians 5, 4 last night, that Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And I was making this point that the reason we don't experience what Jesus has provided for us is not because of our sin, not because of what is traditionally uh, taught, it's the exact opposite. It's because we've led a sin consciousness and a performance mentality that we have to be holy and we have to earn these things from God. That is what is stopping the benefit of what Jesus has provided for you coming to pass in your life. You have fallen from grace and you're back into legalism. That's an amazing, amazing deal. And it's exactly opposite the way that most people look at things. Again, most church, most religion is all about what you must do to get God to do this. When the truth is, Christianity should all be about what Jesus did for us, completely independent of us and what we deserve. And because of His great love, now I want to serve Him. I want to do these things. So you should still be living a holy life, but holiness should be a fruit and not a root of salvation. That is huge. What I just said is huge. And most people just kind of skim over those things. But I tell you, if it, it's a totally different way of looking at things. Instead of being focused on yourself and what you must be doing, you ought to be focused on what Jesus has done for you. And it will change you more by looking at Him than it will by looking at yourself and constantly evaluating yourself. And that doesn't, that's not in, it's not intuitive. That doesn't seem like it's right. It seems like, no, I've got to police myself and I've got to control myself. It's really just the opposite. It's just the opposite. The one that you behold, the one that you look at, you become like Him. And if you are looking at yourself and constantly condemned and beat down over your failures, it actually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You just make things worse. What you've got to do is have a Savior. And you look at Him and you get carried away with how much He loves you. And you wind up becoming like who you hang out with. And you hang out with God and I tell you, it just changes your life. It's awesome. So, 
Anyway, let me just continue to make this point because I believe it's something that we've got to really get established in. And I want to go back to some of the things I just mentioned quickly last night and start looking at this. Let's go back to the first chapter of the book of Galatians. This is where Paul was writing to this church, and I gave you that background last night. He's the one that established this church, and he said this in verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Boy, there's a lot in these verses. I'm just going to hit some things quickly. But notice that he uses the word uh, grace and gospel interchangeably in this verse. This is done other places in Scripture. If you are talking about the gospel, you have to be talking about the grace of God, what God did for you on an unearned, undeserved, unmerited basis. Today, the word gospel has become a religious cliche, and people will say, oh man, that's the gospel. And what they're saying is, you're going to go to hell if you don't repent. And they'll say, that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. It is true that if you don't repent, there is a hell that people go to and there's a heaven to gain and a hell to lose and it is true that we have to repent and all of those things are true, but none of it's the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news or if you want to be more technical, I could spend a time explaining, but I believe it means more like nearly too good to be true news. It's just over the top good news. What is good about your going to hell? There is no good news. That's not gospel. And it says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the good news that even though we have sinned and we are separated from God just based on our own self, that Jesus came and took our sin and paid for it and now you have had your sins forgiven and you can accept it and you can become like Arthur was saying, Friends with God. God's best friend. Not because you are worthy of it, but because that is how good God is. And He's made it available to you on the basis of grace, not based on your performance. In spite of who you are, not because of who you are, God loves you. Man, now that's the gospel. That is nearly too good to be true news, that God would love somebody like me, that God is pleased with me, that God doesn't demand that I quit all of these things before He calls me His friend. Man, that's nearly too good to be true news. He's talking about the grace of God. And so we have a lot of religious people today that are talking about, oh man, they're, you know, they're preaching the gospel. We've got a, a Baptist church that has been uh, picketing all of the... Funerals of anybody who's been through any of the Iraq wars or any of this kind of stuff, and they come there and they're saying they're preaching the gospel and they're saying, You're going to hell, and how dare you support this? And you know what? There's nothing good in it, there's no love in it, there's nothing good. And they say, But I'm, I'm being persecuted for the gospel. No, you're being persecuted for being mean and ugly. Right. Amen. It's not the gospel. Then there's people that come in and they say, I just don't believe I've really heard the gospel unless I get my toes stepped on, unless I just feel like you've been all over my case. And we've actually raised up a generation of people that think it's good to go to church and just get beat up and leave there depressed and crying and sad. And man, that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. 
Now again, there are some things that aren't necessarily good to hear and sometimes you have to tell people the truth and I'm not saying that we don't tell people that there's a hell and things like that, but I'm saying that is not the gospel. This is making it very clear. It uses the word gospel and grace interchangeably. And there are people today saying that they're preaching the gospel and they aren't preaching grace, they're preaching wrath, they're preaching condemnation. They're telling you that you've got to do this and this and this and clean up your act before God will answer your prayers. If you haven't had your prayers answered, it's because you haven't been studying the Word. You hadn't prayed. You hadn't done this. And God's not going to bless you, you unholy thing. You aren't worthy. Did you know very few Christians doubt God's ability to do something? They don't doubt that. If I tell you about miracles, I've seen my son raised from the dead. He was dead for four or five hours, raised from the dead, no brain damage. (laughs) No more than he had before. (laughs) Most of you believe that. That's the reason you're here instead of some other group. You're full gospel people. You believe in the miraculous power of God. But you know where most of you would struggle? Is it, it's not, if somebody fell over dead and I said, well, how many of you believe that God can heal him? You believe God can heal him. If I said, praise God, we're going to pray, we're going to see him raised from the dead, most of you would say, go for it. But where I'd lose, most of you, is i say, all right, if you believe it, you come pray for him. And all of a sudden, your faith turns to fear, your excitement turns to dread, all of everything changed. What changed? You said you believe that God can heal. What changes? The only thing that changed is you don't doubt God's ability. You doubt that He'll do it for you because you don't feel worthy. You know where you got that from? Religion. That points out and says, and it's not the true gospel. If it's not about the grace of God, if it's not God loves you unconditionally, and you don't have to perform, then it's not the true gospel. Now, again, there's a place for saying you need to discipline yourself. You need to come to church. You need to study. You need to do what's right. But all of those things, holiness, changes your heart towards God. It does not change God's heart towards you. If you never are holy, God won't love you less. And if you are holy, God won't love you more. God loves you on the basis of what Jesus has done. But if you don't seek the Lord and do what's right, Satan will come in and harden your heart and keep you from experiencing the things of God. And sin does have consequences, but it's not God who's punishing you and turning away from you. It's your own heart that's being hardened towards God. You know what I've said right here would get me crucified in most churches. This is not the same gospel that the church as a whole is preaching. And there are many of you, and again, I don't know your situation. I'm not against anybody personally. But there are many of you here that have been sitting in a church and you don't realize it and you're just being fed poison. You're being fed this performance-based stuff constantly and it's in your system. It's in your DNA. And you just default to thinking about, oh God, I'm so unworthy. And you have a performance-based relationship to where you feel like God only loves you when you're worth loving. And the only thing wrong with that is you aren't really worth loving. Some of you will take offense at that. Say, well, I'm really a good person. Well, you might be good compared to me or somebody else, but you know what? None of us deserve the goodness of God. You cannot base it on what you do. 
And this is what he's talking about. He says, it's the, you've removed from the grace, or excuse me, called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And this word for another here is the word heteros, the Greek word heteros. It's where we get heterosexual from, a different sex. It means another gospel of a different kind. And it says, I, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the grace, the goodness of God, not based on what you've done, unto a different gospel. And then in verse 7, which is not another, the word another there is allos, it means another of the same kind. In other words, he says, I marvel that you remove from this good news, man, the awesome news about God loving us, independent of our performance, and you went for this performance-based stuff that is going to kill you because you can't live up to it. I marvel that you moved into that, which is not really another of the same kind. It's not the same thing. See, some of the uh, Galatians were saying, well, it's not really another. It's the same thing. It's just a little, uh, you know, we aren't denying that Jesus died for our sins. We don't deny that he, uh, we have to trust him, but we also have to live holy and God won't bless us and God won't move in our life unless I'm doing certain things. It's really the same thing. It's just, and Paul is saying, it's not the same. He says, it's another gospel. And then he said this in the last part of this seventh verse, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. It's a perversion. Did you know actually a perversion of the gospel is harder to deal with than just an out-and-out contradiction? You know, if you were sitting in a church where the pastor came up and said, you know what? Jesus is no longer Lord. I don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I don't believe that He even existed. And I don't believe He rose from the dead. And Jesus isn't real. And we aren't serving Jesus from now on. I guarantee you, you'd be out of there. You wouldn't tolerate that. But you will have a pastor come up and say, Oh yes, Jesus is the Son of God. And we have to believe on Jesus. But you've also got to live holy. And God is... It's not Jesus only. You've also got to earn this, and unless you do this, this, and this, God won't bless you. We will accept that. We will accept a perversion of the gospel. But that's wrong. You know, I heard a story about a man who was talking to his kids, and they wanted to go see this movie. And they said, oh, can we go to the movie with our friend? And he, he asked them a few questions, and he says, what's it rated? And they kind of... A, skirted the issue and finally it came up and he says no he says that's not a godly film and they said dad it's just one little part in there and they just use a few words of profanity and there's just a little sexual stuff but most of it's good it's not really bad it's just a little bit and he said no and they got so upset and anyway he so what he allowed them to do instead was bring their kids over to the house so he had his friends uh, his kids bring their friends over to the house and he decided he'd fix them some brownies and stuff and, and he uh, brought them in this tray of hot brownies and he says, I made these brownies for you and all these kids came running and he said, but let me tell you, there's just a little bit of dog poop in it. He says, it's not a lot. You won't even be able to taste it. He says, it won't make you sick. It won't bother you. I promise you there's nothing wrong with it but I just put a little bit of dog poop in there. And they were like, what? We aren't going to eat this. And he says, well, why not? It's just a little bit. 
See, we wouldn't do that, but we will accept just a little perversion. We will. You cannot compromise on this. Guys, I don't have the words to tell you how important this is, but most of us have compromised in this area, and one of the reasons is because it's hard to find a church that truly is preaching that it's what Jesus did for you and all you have to do is believe and receive it by faith. It's hard to find that. And so therefore, a lot of people just don't even try. And they just accept this perversion of the gospel. I tell you, it's worse because of the subtlety of it. It would be better to have somebody just come out and out and out attack the gospel than it is to try and pervert it and change it and add a little bit to it. And that's what's happened in the American church. And look at what Paul said here. He says, there are those that would pervert the gospel of Christ, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you. And if you look this up in the Greek, it's not talking about a gospel that is completely different, but even a deviation from this gospel. If we start preaching anything unto you about you've got to earn this, and unless you're worthy, God won't bless you. He says, if anybody preaches anything like that unto you, let him be accursed. One of the translations says eternally damned. This is what it's talking about. It's talking about let them be damned in hell forever. This is the same Paul that said over in Romans chapter 12, bless and curse not. And yet he cursed them. And he also said in 1 Corinthians 15, if any man love not the Lord, let him be anathema. Our Lord cometh. That means accursed. The Lord comes. This is the same one that said don't curse. If you study him, what he's talking about is when somebody persecutes you and hurts you, don't fight back. Don't defend yourself. You let God be your source. In that context there in Romans chapter 12, it says God is the avenger of all things. And so you let God avenge you. You don't curse people. You don't fight back and hurt people. But you know what? When it comes to the gospel... You do need to be adamant about the gospel. You know, in my own personal side, I have a lot of people criticize me. I've got blogs written about me. I've had a lot of things done, and I don't fight back. It's not worth getting in the grandstands and arguing with the spectators. I'll lose the race if I do it. I don't do that. I let people criticize me. I don't care what people think about me. But if you attack the gospel, I'll get vicious. I will get angry. I will get upset about this. I have jumped on people's case before and told them to sit down and shut up in the name of Jesus. And some people think, well, that's not very godly. I believe that's real godly. You know, Jesus was meek and lowly of heart, but when it came to people perverting the true worship in the temple, he made a cat of nine tails and beat the people and drove them out. And he got angry. And it wasn't sin. And he didn't do it once. He did it twice. He did it at the first and at the end of his ministry, the week before his crucifixion. And Jesus was completely right in doing that. You need to abhor that which is evil. There is, the difference is you don't do stuff selfishly. If it's all about you, turn the other cheek. Let them take your coat. Give. And don't sit there and defend yourself selfishly. But if somebody is perverting the gospel, this is something you do not compromise on because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so Paul here is saying that, man, I marvel that you've left this good news about Jesus to go to something else. 
which really isn't, it's not the same thing. It's a perversion of the gospel. And he says, I don't care who it is. Don't let anybody tell you anything different than what we've told you. If they do, let them be accursed. And then, like I said last night, I'm sure that people were just so shocked. Like, oh, he can't mean what he says. He repeated it just so that there would be no misunderstanding. Just so that nobody will think I, I really couldn't have meant what I said. I'm going to say it again. I'll say it even stronger. Again, I say, did any man preach any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. You know, if the Apostle Paul was here in our present day church today, I guarantee you he would, <laughs> he would not be well received. Boy, he, if Jesus was to come back and walk on this physical earth, did you know that the modern day church, I don't believe he would last three and a half years. We'd crucify him quicker than the religious system of, of his day. The Christian church would crucify Jesus. We aren't preaching the same gospel. It has all twisted around to where it's all about what we must do. Now, again, there's things that you must do, but you do them to discipline yourself, to change your heart towards God. God only accepts people on the basis of grace. It is not based on what you do. And then once a person understands that and receives this goodness of God, you wind up serving the Lord more accidentally than you ever have on purpose before. You do it out of love. And love has no torment with it. it. It isn't the strain. It's not the stress. Amen. I actually heard a testimony this morning about a person who got my book on effortless change and read it, and they were smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. And yet they got hold of that truth and began to recognize this and... Uh, they quit smoking and didn't even realize it. They, they went to get a cigarette and realized it had been nearly a week, six days before they had smoked. I've done the same thing. Did you do the same thing? Isn't that awesome? And people think, no, you can't change that way. You can if you start understanding how much God loves you and taking the Word in, and you find sins and problems and things that you're doing that are detrimental to you and other people, they just fall by the wayside. Instead of having to go in and dig them out and go through all this pain and suffering, you just love God and all of this junk begins to start falling off. This is nearly too good to be true. I'm telling you, every time you hear the true gospel, it ought to be like, you know, Paul, four different times in his writings. Every time he talked about this, this question would come up in Romans chapter 6 after he had spent five chapters talking about the grace of God and using Abraham and David as examples and, and talking about the goodness and the grace of God. Then he comes up in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer to that was absolutely not. In the Greek, it's an unqualified, absolute negative. Matter of fact, one translation says in a way, I don't even talk that way. It says, blank, no, that's not what we're saying. Amen. And that's basically the point he was getting across. Are we supposed to, am I saying that you can go live in sin? Absolutely not. That's not what he's saying. But here's the point. Paul, when he preached the gospel four different times, he had to answer this question. Am I saying that you can live in sin? 
No, that's not what he was saying, and he goes on and explains it. But if that question never comes up when you're hearing somebody preach, if you are saying, man, he's, sin's dealt with, so can I just go live in sin? If that question doesn't come up, you haven't heard the same gospel that Paul preached. And many of you have never had that thought come to you listening to the pastor that you listen to. Amen or oh me. No, we aren't saying that sin has consequences and you quit sinning because it's a direct inroad of Satan into your life. And so you do need to live holy and you don't need to sin. But God loves you independent of your performance, whether you sin or don't sin. His love isn't affected by your actions. Arthur made a great point of that in Romans 5, 8. God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave up His Son for us. Instead of giving up on us, He gave up His Son. What a deal. That's nearly too good to be true. No, I'm not saying that you just go live in sin, but I am saying that God loves you in spite of your sin. And that's the gospel. And if anybody is preaching anything other than this unto you, let him be accursed. I'm glad Paul said that instead of me. Man, y'all would be mad at me if I said that. All I'm doing is reading to you what Paul said. In verse 10, he says, For do I now persuade man or God? In other words, is it me or is it God? That's a great question. Every minister ought to ask himself this. Are you persuading people or is it God? Are you just preaching what you've been taught and you're just digesting it and spitting back the same thing? Are you just echoing what other people have to say? Or do you really have a revelation from God? Is this something that God is speaking unto you? He says, for if I yet pleased man, I should not be the servant of Christ. Man, what a strong statement that is. If you are a man pleaser, you are not a true servant of Christ. If you are fearful of people's acceptance or rejection, if you won't speak the truth because you're afraid of what people said, you are not a true servant of Christ. And most people will use this in a way of talking about, well, you know, I'm not afraid to sit here and say, you're a sinner and you're ungodly and God's mad at you. And that's what they talk about, suffering persecution. There's three times here in this um, book, I'm trying to control myself and do this in an orderly fashion, but three times Paul said, man, if, you know, if I'm still preaching legalism and works and what you do, then the offense of the cross is ceased. He says, why am I suffering persecution if I'm going to preach legalism and you've got to perform and do all this? The offense of the cross has ceased. He says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus. He's not talking about a wooden implement of death. He's not talking about, you know, we use the cross to symbolize all kinds of things. This is talking about what Jesus accomplished through His death. He took your sin. He paid for your sin. Sin is over. Sin is a non-issue with God. God is not mad at you because of your sin. And that is what Paul was preaching. And that's what he got flack over. And that's what he got his criticism for. 
In verse 11, he says, I certify you, or in other words, I'm verifying unto you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what he's referring to is when he first got born again, of course, he was on the road to Damascus, and he had this miraculous encounter where where there was a light and the Lord spoke to him, and he repented, and immediately... He started preaching the gospel in Damascus and they wouldn't accept him. And the Jews got mad at him and they had to put him into a basket and lower him over the city walls so that he could escape. Because within days after his conversion, the Jewish people tried to kill him and Paul escaped. And what he did was spend three years in the desert. And he got this revelation directly from God. Now, he had already been schooled in the Old Testament Scripture, so he knew the Word of God. But he prayed, and God gave him the revelation of grace and the New Covenant. And Paul is the one that wrote half of the books in the New Testament. Paul is the one that is the foundation, really, of the gospel teaching, the New Testament revelation. And Paul got it while he was out there in the desert. And that's what he goes on to explain. He says, I'm not just preaching something that I heard other people preach. I went into the desert and I got this by revelation from God. In verse uh, 13, he says, For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion among many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace... Boy, the word grace is used a bunch in this book and in this chapter already. To reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. In 15 days, Paul couldn't have got all of these questions and all of the things that he was teaching revealed unto him. It was three years after his conversion, after he had already been in the desert. That's where he got his revelation was directly from God. And it says in verse uh, 19, But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. And so all of this is saying... The whole purpose of this first chapter is to say, I I marvel that you are so soon removed from this good news under this bad news. It's a different gospel. It's not the same. It's a perversion of the truth. And he says, I'm so absolutely confident that what I've preached to you is the truth that if anybody preaches anything else, let him be accursed. And then he goes through these things to show you how he received his gospel directly from God. This wasn't something he was taught by man. He knows it came from God. And that's the whole point that he's making is showing you that this is something that he would stake his life on. And brothers, the gospel... The quote-unquote gospel that's being preached in America today is not the same gospel that the Apostle Paul preached. Now, there are good churches. We've got good churches represented right here. There's some really godly people, and there are some pastors doing it, but they're really in a minority. And you need to be picky. You need to pick and choose. You need to be careful about where you go and what you support. 
I am not against church. I am for church. And I'm for the real church, not the religious church. And then in chapter 2, look at this. He says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took with me Titus also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. The emphasis here is on the word compelled. He took Timothy, which was his closest associate, and he did circumcise him because of all of the Jews. And he knew that the Jews would be offended. So he went ahead and performed this rite of circumcision on him. But when it came to Barnabas, uh, I mean, excuse me, Titus, he said we didn't compel him. Titus didn't want to be circumcised. He didn't want to become a Jew. And so Paul didn't compel him. And he brought Titus with him to the Jerusalem council. This is written in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. And he showed him as a trophy of grace. And this man was just oozing the grace of God, the love of God. His life was changed. He had all of the fruit of a Christian in his life. And Paul used him as a proof that you don't have to be circumcised. You do not have to perform these Jewish rituals and rites and stuff to be accepted with God. And like I was pointing out last night, it's not just circumcision, but you could take the same thing today with a person that hadn't been water baptized, that hadn't done this. It's not that you shouldn't do these things. It's that that is not what saves you. It is your faith in the Lord. You could take a person that hasn't got their hair cut, that hasn't put on their three-piece suit yet, that hasn't changed their lifestyle, they're still wearing their do-rag, or somebody as bad as Arthur that's got an earring. (laughs) And they still got the love of God in them. (laughs) Is it possible to be a Christian and wear an earring if you're a man? Well, right here's proof. You see the goodness of God and Arthur and the love of God, and yet he's... He's got lace on his underwear, too. He won't tell you. How would I know? But see, this is what Paul was using Titus for. He showed Titus, and here was this guy that was just filled with the love and the power of God, and he hadn't conformed to all of the Jewish rituals. And look at this. Look at this. It says, uh, in verse 3, it says, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of... Here's the reason he didn't circumcise Titus. That because of false brethren, unawares brought in. That means secretly who came in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. You know what this is talking about? The Jews actually sent people to Paul to spy on his converts, specifically Titus, to see if he was circumcised. You know, let me just point this out. This should be, this should be obvious. But you can't just look at a person and tell if they're circumcised or not. If they were spying to see if they were circumcised, you know what was happening? They were in the toilets. 
They were peeking under the stalls. They were watching these guys go to the bathroom to find out if they were circumcised. Here they are, supposedly the holy people who are peeping toms in the name of the Lord. This is the way that legalists always are. Legalists can be meaner, more vicious, more vile, more ungodly than the people who haven't cut their hair yet. And they do things in the name of the Lord to hurt people and criticize them. It's just amazing. The same thing was going on 2,000 years ago. People were spying on them to see if all of the converts were circumcised. You know, one of the reasons I believe God gave the covenant of circumcision is because it's supposed to be private. You don't go around saying, look at me, I'm circumcised. (laughs) Hopefully you don't. I would say some things, but you know, we've got women on the internet watching this, but... So I'll refrain myself. But anyway, it was, I believe the reason God used circumcision is because it was something between you and God. Who really knew whether you were circumcised or not? It goes back to this friendship that Arthur was talking about. Relationship, intimacy with God. God, this was something between you and God, which was intimate, personal. It's not the kind of thing you flaunt and show people your circumcision. You can't go out and brag and... Portray your circumcision. And yet, so much in religion today, we are sitting here flaunting and talking about, I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of mint, nanas, and cumin. You know what? You are supposed to do things. You are supposed to seek God, but you aren't supposed to be bragging about all of that. All of those things come as a result of relationship with God, not a way to relationship with God. I am not teaching that you should go out and just start drinking and doping and doing whatever because there's consequences to it. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 6, I was mentioning this earlier where Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. And then in Romans chapter 6, he gives two reasons. I'm paraphrasing the whole chapter of Romans 6. The first reason is, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in there? You know, if you're truly born again, God changes you on the inside. And you desire to live for God. Now, if you're under the law, you do a poor job of it because the Bible actually says that the law strengthens sin. The law makes sin come alive on the inside of you. So if you're having somebody preach to you about you can't do this and God's angry and God's bitter, that hinders what God wants to do in your life. It makes of Christ of none effect once you start basing what God does in your life on your performance. And so you may not be living a very holy life, but if you are truly born again, you desire to do it. It says in First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew Him not. And then verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Boy, there's a great message in that that goes right along with grace. When you see Him as He is, good, kind, loving, forgiving grace, you will be like Him. If you don't see Him as He truly is, you won't be like Him. And that's the problem. But then verse 3 says, And every man, 
Not some men, but every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. If you are truly born again, you are trying to live for God. You have a desire to live for God. Again, you may be failing in it because religion will actually make sin dominate you. It says in Romans chapter 6, I believe it's verse 14, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. But if you are under the law and not under grace, sin will have dominion over you. And this is precisely the reason so many people are failing is because they are under this performance-based mentality. They fail. They get condemned. And then they feel like I'm a hypocrite if I try and do it. And so they just go out and live in sin. But if you are truly born again, you have a desire to live for God. And so the first point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 6, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, it's not your nature to live in sin. If you are truly born again, your nature has been changed and everything within you wants to live for God. There are some of you that before you got born again, you did all kinds of things. After you get born again, you may still do some of those things. But you know what? You no longer enjoy. You're condemned. You feel bad about it. There may be some of you that still smoke after you get born again. But you know what? Now you want to quit. You want to do something different. You may not have succeeded, but your heart's changed. You want to change. You may have been into pornography. You may still do some pornography. If you're a guy in our society today, you can't watch the Super Bowl without seeing pornography. You can't do anything without. I mean, it's all around. And you may still struggle with it, but if you're truly born again... You don't want to do it. You would like to be free from it. And it's this law and this condemnation that's keeping you in bondage. And on and on we could go with the examples. So he says the first thing, the reason that you don't live in sin is because don't you understand that you're dead to sin. You're a new person. And then he gives you a second reason in verse 16, Romans 6, 16. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death are of obedience unto righteousness. The second reason a Christian lives holy is not to earn God's favor or to get God pleased with you. God has just given His love to you by grace. It's not based on your performance. And when you accept Jesus, man, He loves you and He's your friend. And He wants to have a relationship with you. But if you go out and live in sin, you just throw your life open to the devil. Satan cannot just come and devour you. The scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that your enemy, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. He cannot devour every person. If it was just up to Satan, if he could just do anything he wanted to, every person in here would be sick, dying, your marriages would... I mean, every person, not just one or two or a few, every one of us would be totally destroyed. Just like Arthur was using that verse, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And whether you call it religion or the devil, they're the same thing. And he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. If it was only up to him, every one of us would be destroyed. But here's a great truth. The devil cannot do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. Some of you don't like that. We like to say, oh, the devil made me do it and I just can't help it. And that's a lie. Even the man who is demon-possessed with a legion of demons, which a legion, a Roman legion, was 6,000 soldiers. And so we assume that he had 6,000 demons in him. And yet this man ran and fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. 
He might not have been able to get totally free, but even with 6,000 demons, he could still run and throw himself at the feet of Jesus. Those demons, I guarantee you, the demons weren't into that. He could still come towards God. He could still do this. Satan can't stop you. Satan never made you do anything. He tempts you, and you have to consent and cooperate. And this is a little bit of an aside, but this is one of the reasons that we do consent with the devil is because we think that God is at arm's length and God is angry at us because we haven't done what we should. And so we just don't draw on the power of God. Not that we doubt that He exists, but how would God ever use His power on me? And so we just throw up our hands and give up. After all, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm not an old sinner saved by grace. I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace, and now I'm the righteousness of God, and God loves me, and I can draw on His power, and I can overcome sin. And so you need to recognize that if you go live in sin, you are giving Him consent, cooperation. You know, I've got a very, very good friend, a lady that I love, And this lady worked for me. She's been a friend of mine for a long, long time. Anyway, she's dying of cancer right now and in the last stages. And she smokes like a smokestack. I mean, she smoked two, three packs of cigarettes every day. When she worked for me, she smoked. I didn't reject her because she smoked. God didn't reject her. Amen. I loved her. She's a good friend. She's a neighbor. I love her, but you know what? She's dying. And I, I actually talked to her, and she says it's kind of hard for me to pray and ask God to heal me when I brought this on myself and God's convicted me and I've tried to quit. She's lied about it and told people that she quit when she didn't. And you know what? She brought it on herself and she's now dying from cancer. Now, does it have to be that way? I believe that you can repent and appropriate it, but her conscience is so defiled right now that she just can't believe. And you know what? God loves her. God's not mad at her. She's not going to go to hell because she smokes. She'll smell like she's been there, but she hadn't. You don't go to hell because you smoke, but you're just stupid to smoke. You're stupid to smoke. But God loves you, stupid. There's some of you in here that smoke. And you know, it's funny, but people that smoke think nobody knows. You could walk in that door and I could tell. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, and I can smell you coming from a block away, and yet you got gum in your mouth and think nobody knows. You don't have to hide it. I'm not mad at you. You can smoke if you want to, but you're just opening up a door to the devil. You're allowing sickness and disease to come in, and I guarantee it's just stupid. So there's reasons to quit living in sin and doing things, not just because God's going to reject you. God isn't going to reject you regardless of what you do. But man, Satan is going to have inroad into your life. We put warnings on cigarette packs that this will take, you know, that this is hazardous to your health. The average cigarette smoker loses seven years off of their life. Did you know that the average homosexual, this is off of the gay and lesbian uh, website. This is their statistic. They are doing it in a, they're portraying this in a way to try and make you feel sorry for them. But boy, it makes a great point. The average homosexual lives 20 to 25 years less than a heterosexual male. 
We put a warning on cigarettes because it takes seven years off of your life. Homosexuality takes 20 years, at least three times as much off of your life. And yet people are politically correct and afraid to say anything lest somebody be offended. God loves you if you're homosexual. You're just stupid. What part of (laughs) sex do you not understand? Amen. It's just stupid. But God loves you, stupid. God made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Praise God. So anyway, Paul is just going through and doing all of these things, and he's defending the gospel. And man, he allowed people to persecute him, to beat him, to do all of this. But when people came in privately to sneak and see if his converts were circumcised, he wouldn't give place to that for a minute. And man, he drove them out of there. Man, you've got to be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he told Timothy to do. And that's what... That's what this whole school is based on. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, My son, be strong in the grace. And the things that you have heard among me, among many faithful witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. And that's what we're in the process of doing. I tell you, brothers, we need to stand fast in the liberty that Christ has given us. And your union with Christ... And your love and your friendship with Jesus will so bless you and so fulfill you that you'll give up everything else. You'll give up pornography, your dope, your cigarettes, your booze, whatever it is that's got you in bondage. Man, none of it compares to Jesus. You fall in love with Jesus and you'll fall out of love with all of this other stuff. Amen? And because it's motivated by love, it's no effort. Some of you struggle to love your mate. What you're doing, you're struggling to act like you love your mate. But if you really fall in love with them, if you really love them, it's not a struggle to sit down and communicate with them and to do things. Amen? You really fall in love with God, it won't be hard to do the right things. God loves you. And I'm telling you that there are guys right here in this room who you know that God exists. You don't doubt His power. That's the reason that you came to this thing. But the way you're trying to draw on God's power and get Him to change you is all wrong. You're trying to barter, God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. I'll serve you. I'll do these things. It's all based on your performance. And that's the very reason that you aren't experiencing the life of God. And you need to get beyond that and just receive it as a gift. Whatever it is that you need from God, if you need healing, if you need deliverance, if you need a purpose in life, if you need to be forgiven of all kinds of things that you're condemned over, you just need to receive it as a gift right now and let God give it to you. Receive right standing, righteousness, no condemnation with God, not based on your performance, but just as a gift through Jesus that He bore all of your sins, took all of your punishment. Isn't that awesome? I tell you, if you could make this mental change, everything else would work. Faith is just a result of right thinking. If you have the wrong belief system, 
your beliefs will be wrong. And we have been taught wrong that God loves us based on when we're lovely. And the only thing wrong with that is we just aren't very lovely. Not very often. Man, we need to get to where we accept God's love because He is love, not because you are lovely. Isn't that great? Father, I pray this for all my brothers in here, all of those watching by the Internet. Father, we just thank You that You love us. And we refuse to go unto another gospel. We refuse to move away from the fact that Jesus paid it all and that we are accepted with You because You gave up Your Son for us. Father, we stand in that. For any person in here that has had it perverted and that has been working under the deception that we have to be worthy and good enough for Your power and love and mercy to work in our life, I just take these truths and release it towards them and believe that this truth is setting them free. We believe that guilt and condemnation, hatred for themselves, the anger that's on the inside of people is gone right now as the love of God comes in, that that perfect love cast out fear, cast out all of this condemnation. Father, we just receive Your goodness and Your mercy, not based on anything that we've done, but based all upon what Jesus did for us. We receive it. And Father, I thank You that you people are walking free from condemnation, that we are walking in the goodness and the blessings of God. Thank You, Jesus. Father, we receive this. And we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Awesome. Well, I tell you, I hope you're receiving. There's some awesome things being spoken. And if you could receive this, it'd totally change your life. Uh, we've got lunch back here. Remember, we've got a bowling tournament. What time are the special uh, meetings? 1.30 is when Jim Ertle down here is going to be ministering on what? Family? A Father's Blessing. If you haven't read his book, it's really good. I wrote the forward to it. I read it. It's an awesome book. And then also Barry Bennett is going to be ministering. Both of them are ministering at 1.30. Is that right? Oh, they're going to minister one after another? All right, so Barry will be up first and then Jim. And uh, anyway, we'll be back tonight at what time? Is that for the meal? The dinner starts at 5, the meeting starts at 7. Amen. So you're blessed. Tell somebody that you're righteous and you can be dismissed.